Thanks for tuning in to Organic Matters. This is going to be, I'm going to call it the gardening portion of my show. I find it a little difficult sometimes to find you know, tips and things we need to talk about when winter's gotten this deep. If you don't have a fall or winter garden in, most people won't be putting them in probably till early spring, although there's always something you can plant. Most anywhere you live, you just have to get to, to really know your local flora and fauna. Today, I'm going to kind of give you about four or five tips on building what I call resilience into your garden. You know, what is that? First, I only talk organic gardens, and in an organic garden, it's really important that you're, that you're resilient. That just means making sure you do not put all your eggs in one basket is another way to say it. Gardens can be unpredictable places. And these days, it seems that we live in what can, at times, be an unpredictable world. By building diversity in our gardens, we can make sure we have no weak points. We can make certain that even when some things go wrong, there are going to be other things that succeed. Always consider choosing a variety of seed types and different cultivars. The first and eh, maybe arguably the most important step in boosting resilience in your garden is ensuring that you have a lot of rich diversity within your little system, no matter how, whether it's a 4 by 8 or it's a large garden. Biodiversity, when it comes to building resilience, is not about simply cramming in as many different plants as possible. It is about increasing the number of beneficial interactions between unique plants and animals and insects, incidentally, that are in your ecosystem. Amplifying beneficial interactions in a system makes a more stable one. It means finding a natural balance and working in harmony with nature over time. As such, it's vital to choose seeds and plants not just for their benefits to you, but also for the benefits to the garden and the garden ecosystem as a whole. Beyond the general ideas of diversity and its benefits to the ecosystem, it is also useful to think about how it can increase yield and reduce losses to you and your family. As an example, planting just one variety of carrots or tomatoes may mean you lose the lot if something happens to go wrong. Planting two or three different varieties will increase your chances for success. Over time, you're going to begin to see what works well where you live and what does not, and then you begin to tailor your choices uh, accordingly. And something that took me a while to kind of get a grip on was I, I just don't focus exclusively on annual plants. Those new to grow your own gardening often just focus on creating a vegetable plot and growing annuals and at best biannual common crops. But annual gardens take a lot of work and through unforeseen events as well as human error, things sometimes really do go wrong. So to increase the chances of obtaining a worthwhile yield from your efforts over the gardening year. Consider moving away from solely annual production and growing perennial fruit trees, fruiting shrubs, and perennial vegetables and herbs. Food forests or food gardens offer extremely diverse yields, often with a lot less total work from the gardener once they're established. So these are definitely good growing systems to consider. When you're growing annual crops, timing really is key. This is especially true when it comes to sowing early in the season. 
when sudden late frost or other things may happen. Not sowing or planting out all at once is an important way to minimize your risk. Stagger sowings and planting so that even if early ones are killed off by surprising weather events, you still have more to replace them. Always sow a few more seeds than you think you're going to need. Good rule. One other lesson that uh, people new to gardening often suffer from, and I certainly did for several years till I caught on, was planting everything at once. Let's say it's tomato season and you put out four dozen tomato plants or two dozen all at once. You know what you're going to have, especially if you don't carefully pick your plants, is you're going to have dozens and dozens of tomatoes all at once. And you can give them away. That's kind of fun. But if you want to extend your season, you plant six or eight plants or nine, and then you wait two weeks. And you plant some more, and you wait two weeks. And, you, and then you've got kind of a flowing system of ongoing fruits. Another one that's really bad, or I guess I should say fruits or vegetables, but tomatoes really are fruit. Squash is another one. Boy, I have had so many squash, I would have to sneak up and leave boxes on neighbors' porches. Spread your plantings out. Give them a few weeks between plantings. If it's something you really love, it'll just give you a longer season of use with very little difference in care and upkeep once you get them all in the ground. You may have noticed if you've been gardening for a while that our climates are increasingly erratic almost everywhere we live. And we kind of all know why. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's changing, folks. It is difficult more than ever to predict all weather events wherever you live now, even as as easily as it was just a decade ago. I spent last winter uh, in Texas, southern Texas, outside of Kerrville, a place called Comfort, and was getting ready to, for our spring garden, or whatever you want to call it that, and it went to three degrees. It's never, in recorded weather history, been three degrees in that part of the country where I was. No prediction was available. We knew it was going to get cold, but nothing like that. It's just not the same weather, so you're going to have to kind of accommodate weather extremities more than we ever had to in the past. Another discovery that I found was that growing both undercover, in this case I have, we have high tunnels that you can get into, and outside means that I cover all the bases. And even when some plants are lost, bad weather changes, there's still plenty of resilience within the system, and I still obtain good yields for my garden for that year. If you do not have a greenhouse or a tunnel or undercover growing, this is definitely something to consider. It can make your gardening systems way more resilient, as well as increasing the range of crops that you can grow successfully throughout your entire year. One more note here, I lived out in West Texas a few years back, and I did not have a dependable water source. I was way in the country, and and that's just the way it is out there. So if you rely on your single water source, whether it's a municipal water supply or your well, you might ask yourself, what should happen if it's all gone away? And mine was for a while. Consider rainwater harvesting. It could certainly allow you to build and have that little backup you might need. It'd be great to be able to save your garden, and you can't, it can't hurt. Rainwater has a little bit of kind of magic in it to me. Careful water management can allow you to build in further resilience over time, catching and storing water more effectively on your property. And that's just a single example of a number of things you can do and kind of have multi-purpose uses for your whole garden area. 
Stacking functions and integrating elements wisely is just one more important way to make sure you really literally aren't putting all your eggs in one basket. Since it's obviously getting very close to Christmas by the time you hear this, let me talk. Uh, every, every year I always do this. I never know exactly what the right answer is. And I, I begin it by calling it the great Christmas tree debate. You know, along with cookies and carols, the Christmas tree is like a kind of quintessential part of the holiday season for many people. According to the American Christmas Tree Association, this year approximately 75% of all Christmas trees in the American homes are going to be artificial. But are artificial trees really the better option for our planet? Every year about this time I think about it and the short answer for me is no. But it's really more complicated than that. Ultimately, the answer depends on a variety of different factors. If you decide to go with an artificial tree, you need to use it for a very long time. Studies suggest artificial trees will need to be used anywhere from 8 to 20 years in order to be considered the more environmentally friendly option. You should seek out trees manufactured, be careful about this, from polyethylene plastics as it's not toxic and some are made from polyvinyl chloride, which is. And since the majority of artificial trees are imported from China these days, look for a made in the USA if at all possible. That just uh, helps reduce our carbon footprint a bit more. Of course, should you decide to go with a live tree, shop as local as you can. This keeps the carbon footprint low and helps support local economy in the, in the process. While some tree farms do spray, researchers say the use of pesticides in tree production is actually relatively low. Live trees can also be composted or recycled afterwards, again, watching the carbon footprint from both ends. I think it's important to note that live Christmas trees can also be purchased with roots and planted after the holidays. Some companies even allow you to rent live trees. I've not ever done that, but I have heard of it. Each rented tree can be re-rented up to seven years, after which it's usually too large for the average home and gets planted somewhere in its forever home if they're a good tree grower. Now, because I go so many places on my podcast now, I used to be able to just recommend trees in the given area. Usually it was when I was living in Texas or when I was living in Southern Virginia that were hardy so you could buy them, use them, and put them out. Where I was raised in South Georgia as, as a young man, a family that I knew planted a Christmas tree each year for each of their children. They planted them. They would have one in the house and then each kid would help plant one tree. They would carefully choose. They didn't just choose evergreens. They chose. A, a, they made a deciduous forest out of their yard. By the time I met them, some of the trees had a diameter of 8 or 10 inches and were 30 feet tall. Others were nice little, where they become magnolia trees. But each one knew their name and each one knew that tree was me and that tree was me and this one was mine. It was a very interesting um, input for Christmas that you could kind of remember all year round. So look in your area for native trees if possible, that because they naturally fit into your environment. And yes, Christmas trees, we always think of the conifers, and that's great. And if you're going to have one in your house, uh, one that seems to grow most everywhere that's kind of corny, but I've done it several years, are these trees that are perfectly shaped from rosemary. And they're only two or three feet tall. They're more like a table Christmas tree. But 
there's not too many places in this part in this country, or at least in the parts of the country where I broadcast, that you can't grow rosemary. So you get to use the tree, and you get, uh, especially if you're a cook, a pretty good herb for the rest of the year. But just in general, if you could find a live tree that you would like, even if you have to keep it in your house a few weeks or a week, just for Christmas, that's fine. But do do consider planting something rather than just cutting something down. I think it's the best of both worlds. Either, either way, I'll see you again before Christmas, but enjoy the holidays and think about it. If everybody planted one tree, what the difference would be. Thanks for tuning in to Organic Matters.